Amen. Great truth, great song. God with us will come to us. And so praise the Lord for the promise that he's with us. And, uh, and what a blessing. Take your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. In particular, kind of the sub-series on the Beatitudes. Um, and so we'll continue along with that. We're going to read the first 12 verses as we have been doing each Sunday. And then our focus this morning is verse number 9. And so we're going to draw in uh, on verse 9 as we look at uh, the greater context here. So Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus begins to preach here and lay out the foundation of his ministry. Uh, he has a large crowd that's assembled. He's got them uh, prepared and ready to hear him. This is his first really recorded public um, sermon that's preached at length. It's three chapters of the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and so as we look here this morning, he starts off, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he had set, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Again in verse number 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I'm going to speak this morning on this thought, making peace with God, men, and self. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning again for our time together. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate your word to our hearts and that we would be willing, Lord, not to just hear the words, but to receive the truth. May it be transformative in our life. Lord, we realize this morning that we can only change ourselves for a short time. Even the very discipline can only change ourselves at times. But if you change us, Lord, we'll be changed for eternity. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to long for that relationship with you, that relationship where we're not frustrated in trying to change ourselves to live up to what we think your ideal of our life should look like, but we simply surrender to you and your will and your spirit and let you mold us and shape us into the image that you want us to be in. Lord, I pray that you work in our hearts. If there's anyone here that's never trusted you as our Savior, Lord, this morning I pray that they would come to know Jesus as Savior. Lord, again, that you would uh, be honored and glorified in everything as, our, as, as what our objective is, Lord. May you uh, receive the honor and glory that's due your name. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an old Jewish legend that speaks about God contemplating the creating of mankind. And God in the legend is said to have taken the counsel of the angels. And as he was considering what he would do, he called uh, to the angels about his throne. And uh, the angels came and justice stood up and said, create him not. For if you create him, He's going to commit all kinds of wickedness against his, what, his fellow man. After he listened and considered what justice had to say, the Lord called to his attention the angel of truth. 
The angel of truth came and said to him, create him not for he'll be deceitful and he'll lie to his brother man and to you and even to himself. And then he came to the angel of holiness and holiness stood up and said, create him not for he will defile himself and he'll do everything that is an abomination to you, father. And he will shame you and dishonor you even to your face. And then God turned to mercy, said to be his favorite. And as he looked at mercy, mercy stepped forward and said, create him our father. They're right. He will sin. He will turn from the path of right and truth and holiness. And when he does, I'll take him by the hand and I'll speak living words into him and I'll lead him back to you. Upon that, God created mankind. We look and consider this morning Jesus here in created form, taking on human flesh, standing now before this multitude and laying out the foundation for what would be his entire earthly ministry. Telling them essentially that the religious system that you followed for the last few thousand years is, is obsolete. Uh, it's all about worshiping uh, by action, by doing. And what I'm bringing to you is a personal relationship with me. I, I don't want you to get all caught up, he says, in, uh, in all of the do's and the don'ts. I want you to look and enter into a relationship with me. Now, every relationship has do's and don'ts. But to focus in a relationship is loving the person you're in a relationship with. And, and the, not just uh, trying to fulfill a role. And so when we look at this broader context as we've been looking at the whole of the Beatitudes or the attitudes that are defined uh, the Christian life, we started with uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what that showed us was that we have a need for God. And my friends, quite honestly this morning, if I don't understand and see that I have a need for God, I'm really not going to have any value in anything that God has to say or what the Word of God brings forth. Uh, and so in the first four of the Beatitudes, or these first four attitudes, what we, what we see demonstrated is, uh, is God revealing to us our condition and how we come to Him. It's bringing us to Christ. The second four, the ones we're into now, and the message will focus on one of those this morning, is the transformative work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. In other words, once I realize that I need him and I receive him, then he begins to do a work in my life. And so uh, we see that, that he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, we need him. I see that I have a need uh, for God. Then he says, blessed are they that mourn. In other words, because I see that I need him, I've seen my sin. And because I see my sin, I become brokenhearted over my sin because that's broken the relationship that I have with God. Uh, if you have someone that you're very close to and something transpires in your life between you and that individual, uh, whether it be a spouse or whether it be a parent or whether it be a sibling or, or just a close friend, when you've broken the relationship, it's grievous to you. Uh, when we break those relationships, it, it weighs heavy on our conscience. And if I understand that I have broken my relationship with God by sin, then the natural response to that, if I, if I want to be reconciled, is a brokenness. A willingness to understand that I have wronged God, uh, and because of that, I, I want to reconcile the relationship. Then we see, blessed are the meek. 
for they shall inherit the earth. That spoke, speaks of our submission to the will of God. In other words, now, God, I recognize that I need you. I recognize our relationship is broken. I also realize that I've done everything humanly possible to try to fix this for my lifetime, and I've been unable to. So I'm finally at a point where I'm willing to say, I can't do this. I have to surrender to your way of doing it. You know, sometimes we have a problem that needs to be solved and we connect with someone and, and, and they're telling us about this is the way that I would do it. And then we want to argue back. We don't even have the expertise, but we want to argue back. No, this is the way I want to do it. So if you're to go to, uh, you know, uh, your lawyer and you've got a big problem and the lawyer says, this is the way that I'm going to argue the case. And I don't want you to argue it that I want you to argue it this way. But that's a losing argument, he says. But you're stubborn and insisting that he argue it your way. Or you go to uh, your contractor when he's building your home. And uh, there's something that he's building that you don't understand. But you think you know a better way. And you, you try to convince him. Or do we get to the point where we just say, you know what? My way has got me in the mess that I'm in. I'm willing to take my hands off God and just surrender to you and do it your way. And until I get to that point, I'll never find Jesus Christ for salvation. Because we are determined to do it our way. And man has tried to find God his way. We try through religion. We try through, uh, through uh, you know, different avenues of behavior and turning over new leaves and doing all these things. I'm just telling you this morning that the only way to God is God's way. Uh, and so Jesus is communicating that and he says, listen, you have to understand that you need me. And when you understand that you need me and you understand that when you truly understand that, it's going to break you. And when you become broken in your spirit, and you desire reconciliation, then you're going to realize that you frustrated yourself trying to reconcile it your way, but you could not be good enough. You could not go to church enough times. You couldn't get baptized enough times. You couldn't do anything. Uh, the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, that I can't do it, humanly speaking. It's the supernatural act of God. And I come to that place where I just said, okay, God, I, I give up. I, I'll just do it your way. Then he says, blessed are the meek. That meek speaks to that submission. And then blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. That speaks to our yearning for God. And so, God, I see that I need you. God, I'm broken. God, I'm willing to understand and do things your way. God, now I'm hungry for you. See, if I don't have a hunger for God, a desire for God, I'm not really going to pursue him. A lot of people understand and know that they're a sinner. A lot of people understand and know that because of that lack of relationship with Christ, that their spirit, their soul is condemned to, or their, their soul is condemned to an eternity in the lake of fire. They understand that intellectually. They understand that's what the Bible teaches. And they don't want to go there, but they also don't necessarily see that they have a great need or they don't have really a desire to engage in that relationship. And what I'm saying this morning is that the Lord Jesus Christ, as he reveals himself to us, he begins to draw us to him. And then he begins to draw us to him that creates a yearning in us for him. And as we yearn for him and are drawn for him, we come to accept him as our savior. And those things bring us to Christ. And then he changes focus. And as he changes focus, he says, then blessed are the merciful. That speaks to our giving, uh, our, uh, our, the, the transformative work of Christ in our heart. Him changing us into his image. And then uh, we looked last week at blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, those who, whose heart is wholly given to God. That, those, that person who is desiring 
desirous to find and do the will of God, to please their heavenly Father. And then this morning we come to blessed are the peacemakers. Now, just like when we talked about being merciful, we had to understand that in order for me to extend mercy to someone, I have to be wrong. I, I, can't, I can't show Katrin mercy unless Katrin has done something wrong to me. You understand what I'm saying here? Until I understand and, and we realize that we have wronged God, then God shows and extends mercy to us. But it also communicates at this point, I've trusted Christ and Jesus is beginning to change who I am into his image. That my natural response whenever someone offends me is not to get uh, even or to get revenge, but is to show mercy. That's what Jesus does. Listen, if Jesus wanted a pound of flesh, he could have just wiped us all out and started from scratch. But he wanted to show mercy to us because he had such love for us and he values us so much. And why he would value us so highly is beyond human cap the capacity to understand, honestly. But, but he does. And because of that, he came to this earth. And because of that, he offered himself a sacrifice. Because of that, he's willing to seek and to save that which is lost. And it's why he came. And we look here and we understand that he was merciful and we are to be merciful like him because we have been wrong. If I'm not willing to bear injury, I can never extend mercy. Then he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now I'm going to the next step. Now not only am I showing mercy, Caleb, but I'm trying to reconcile the relationship. And so we talk about being a peacemaker. What we're talking about by, uh, by definition here is just simply a, is realizing that a peacemaker must have parties at variance to reconcile. And so when we look at the message this morning, we're looking at, first of all, we are at variance, we are at odds, we are at enmity with God. Not only this morning is, are we as a race of human, as a human race, are, are we at variance or at odds with God, but we're at variance and at odds with fellow man. Can two walk together except they be agreed? We, we are constantly at odds with other people. And it's not just people that have very different ideas than we do. It's sometimes people that we're very close to. Sometimes family members can be so at odds with one another that their relationship's completely fractured. I have family members that have gone two and three years without speaking to me because they were upset about some position I took as a pastor, uh, something that I said or uh, something that I had to uh, take a stand on. And, uh, and just, that, you know, if, if you as a, uh, as a family member or that person that, uh, that, that, that perceives like the world, that love is just saying that whatever somebody's doing is okay and make them feel good about it, uh, that's not my, that's not me. I, I don't believe that Brother Terry, that, that for me to disagree or to call your sin, sin, or to take a stand against something that you're doing means that I don't love you, but rather that I do. And so I'm communicating truth. Now, there's a lot to be said for the attitude and the way that things are communicated. I'm not saying that, that we're free to just, you know, be belligerent jerk about things and how we approach them. But I'm saying, uh, you know, if there's family members that are caught up in sinful acts and they just, or you were supposed to pat them on the head and say, oh, it'll be okay, you're not helping them. Now, it's not my place to go call them out on things. But whenever it comes up, I don't shy away from the subject. You know, a lot of times someone will come and, uh, or I'll see someone we visit and, and they're obviously, they know, they know, 
In most cases, most of the people in my world were taught right. They just have chosen not to live it. So when they come around me, it's like, they generally don't bring it up, for which I'm grateful, because then I don't feel like I need to address it. But if they bring it up and they were looking for me to say, oh yeah, that's okay, I'm not going to try to make a big deal out of it, but I'm also not going to say it's okay. You understand what I'm saying? We, we, even people that we love dearly and that we're very close to, have a tendency to come to odds with them, to be at variance with them, to need a, a peacemaker to broker a solution. We're at odds with God. We're at odds with those that are close to us in our life, our fellow man. We're also oftentimes at odds with ourselves. My number one enemy this morning is me. The number one obstacle to, to everything that I want to do spiritually and mentally and personally uh, that would please and honor God, that would, that would uh, you know, show me to be the kind of a, uh, of a man that I want to be and wanted to be from a young age, my number one enemy, the number one obstacle is me. We're at odds with ourselves. We get in our own way. The Apostle Paul is no different in Romans chapter 7. We don't have time to go there, but essentially he makes the case and he said, listen, the good things that I want to do, I don't do. And the bad things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. And so that's the greatest Christian that ever lived. Struggle with it. We're going to struggle with it. That's just the, the nature of our nature. Uh, this morning. And so we need a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed is that person that can go and take someone that's at odds with God and can reconcile them to the Savior. Blessed is that person who can take two, two brothers in Christ, two sisters in Christ, or uh, two people at the workplace that are having problems and that, uh, that are causing division and that have all kinds of tension in the air and can bring them together and can mediate a peace and can, can bring restoration to that. And blessed is that person that can take the inner turmoil that we fight within ourselves about who and what kind of a person, Christian, husband, wife, son, daughter that we desire to be and find peace and reconciliation in our hearts with ourselves and with our God. Blessed are the peacemakers, he says. A peacemaker is a person who seeks to intervene. In other words, a peacemaker is not a passive person. I don't believe that Jesus was a bombastic personality where he was just going to stand up and uh, at every moment of the day and at every place that he went, try to draw attention to himself and be, uh, to, to be obnoxious and to be, uh, you know, just trying to stir the pot. But he was not passive either. When he saw someone in need, he went out of his way to meet the need. When he saw, when he saw error, he went out of his way to speak truth. Whenever he saw someone that needed to be physically healed, he went and healed them. When he saw a group that needed to understand what he was trying to communicate and bring and what he represented, he would communicate that with compassion and with love and with grace. That doesn't mean that every conversation was easy or that every conversation was, was calm, but at times, sometimes those conversations were quite blunt. I mean, there, there are times whenever Jesus said, you're just a bunch of snakes in a pit. You're just a bunch of vipers. I mean, he wasn't afraid to say what needed to be said, but he didn't uh, go out and just try to pick a fight. Listen, as a Christian, you don't have to pick a fight. The fights will find you. Just show grace 
and learn to be a peacemaker. Why? Because Jesus was a peacemaker. A peacemaker is not a passive person. It's someone that goes out of their way to make a difference. It is the mind of Christ. And it is the heart of God. And why is that important, Pastor? Well, I will say this too. You can't and I cannot become this or do this on our own and in our own power. This is the work of the Spirit of God within us. This is walking with God and loving God and, letting, and being yielded to God and letting the, the, the Word of God come to life in us. Why is it so important? Because it's the mind of Christ. This is Jesus sharing with us his vision of ministry and what his kingdom is going to look like. It is the mind of Christ. It is the heart of God. It is the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to do this in us. And we frustrate his work and we frustrate our own hearts and selves and lives whenever we try to do it on our own. It should therefore be natural for a child of God to emulate the character of God. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to bring reconciliation to man and to God. And along the way, he brought reconciliation between man and man and man himself. We look and we consider what he's saying here. Listen, I remember when my, when my kids were small. Now sometimes my grandkids will do it. And they'll go and you all live through the same thing. They'll, they'll find something that's yours. Either it's a, a ball cap or it's a, a pair of shoes. And, you know, your two or three-year-old kids traipsing across the room. And, uh, you know, in my size 13s. And, uh, and so, or, uh, or with, a, with a hat or something like that. And it's just drooped all over them. And they, uh, they just think it's the greatest thing to be like, pops or to be like their dad or to be like their mom and uh and the, the, listen that's natural that's a good thing do we have that desire to be like our heavenly father do we want and is it natural in us to desire to be like him it should be three thoughts that i want to bring out about this this morning just quickly and that first one is this simply this reconciling man to god jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. In other words, he's saying, man has been severed from the Father by sin, and I'm coming to, to be a ransom for mankind, to redeem him. I'm coming to bring man and God back together. Now that is a, a huge ordeal. It is the salvation of the sinner. It is us Going through what I've already preached to you this morning, realizing that I've wronged him, being broken about that and sorrowful for that, having a desire to be reconciled to him and then yielding to his way, not mine. It's salvation is by grace through faith. In other words, God extended grace to me, giving me something I didn't deserve and I trust him by faith to do what he said he would do. Not trusting in my own works. And so we see that man, uh, Jesus came to reconcile man to God. There was a man in old France named Charney. And Charney was around Napoleon a lot. And he did something that really, I don't even know specifically. I couldn't find what he actually did. But whatever he did invoked the ire and the wrath of Napoleon. And Napoleon put him in a dungeon. And Charney was in the dungeon for a while. I don't know for sure how long he was there, but it was a considerable amount of time. And after he was there for a while, he found a stone in the corner. He took the stone, he went to the, uh, to the wall in his cell. And his cell was just a simple block with a stone floor and uh, kind of a, a, a multi-stone floor. And then had a window up at the top that let in a little bit of light. And he took with that stone and he carved in that the best that he could. No one cares. 
And he sat there in his cell day by day. And after a while, he noticed that in between two of the stones in the floor of his cell, there was a little blade of green coming up. And he began to save a little bit of his water every day and his ration of water and water that little blade green. And after a while, a plant grew up. He also noticed that the person in the cell next to him had a young daughter who was permitted to come and visit him on occasion. And every time she came in, they walked her, the path in brought her by his cell. She never stopped. She never, um, she never communicated. She never really said anything. She just noticed as she went by to visit her father. And after a while, this plant grows up and this plant grows and produces a beautiful blue flower. Charney picked up his stone and he crossed out no one and wrote, God cares. After a while, the little girl communicated to someone outside and word got back to the empress that there's this man next to this little girl's cell who's tenderly taking care of this plant in his cell and the empress was so moved by the story that she had it investigated and whenever she realized and learned that she said no man that would take such care of a tender little plant like this man could be a bad man and she persuaded Napoleon to release him. Charney took that plant home with him. He dug it out and he took it home and he cared for it for the rest of his life because it was just God reaching out to show him that he wanted to reconcile him to himself. A couple of thoughts about this this morning. First, I would say that man is searching for God and God is searching for man. If you're here this morning, in some measure and in some way, you're searching for God. You may not even realize that you're searching for God. As a Christian, you may be searching for a deeper walk with him. You're searching for a way to express your love to him, your worship to him. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, if you're here and you're uncertain about whether you would spend eternity in heaven with God or, or separated from him for eternity in a lake of fire, are, are, are you at a point where you're searching for him? I would submit to you that people that are in the world today that are caught up in alcohol and drugs and illicit relationships and uh, all kinds of sin are doing so because they're simply trying to fill a void in their life. And they may not even understand. In their mind, if they're young especially, they may just think they're trying to have fun. But what they're actually doing is they're trying to fill an emptiness that's within their heart. And that emptiness is made in the size and the shape and the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the only thing that can ever fill it. You can fill it up partially with other things that won't last. Or you can allow him to fill up his rightful place in your heart and your life. So why is it that way? Because that's the way he created us to be. He created us in his image. And whenever we sin, when mankind sinned in the garden, the spirit died within us. And whenever that spirit died, it created a void. And that void is in the exact image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can fill it. You can fill it for a time with drugs and narcotics and alcohol. You can fill it with relationships. You can fill it with work. You can fill it with uh, all kinds of activities. And I'm not saying that all those activities are bad. I, I, I'm, you know, there are a lot of good activities in life, good relationships and good work habits and good hobbies that, uh, that are not sinful except for the distracting me from God. Only Jesus can fill that void. I'm just saying this morning 
that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you realize it or not, there's a yearning, there's a longing for him in your heart. And I promise you this morning that there is a longing in his heart for you. He said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. He wants to reconcile mankind to himself. He wants us to come and to understand his great love for us. Man is searching for God and God is searching for man. I would also say this, that God is willing to save. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He did not come for some, as some believe. He came for all. He did not die for some, he died for all. He did not go through what he went through just to save a few, and he is not cruel and, uh, and a monster that would create some just to be destroyed in the lake of fire. He is the God that loves his creation and that did everything within his power to draw us to himself. But we have to choose him. We have to long for him. We're lost without him. Are we willing or do we realize God's willingness to save us? D.L. Moody was preaching a famous evangelist of the late 18 and the early 1900s. And he was preaching and it was a big meeting and there was a, a big tent and there were people everywhere and it was a kind of a fair-like area and there was all kinds of activities going on and people coming and going and he's preaching away and sooner, after a while, someone brought this, this little boy that he didn't really seem too upset, but he was lost. He was separated from his parents and, uh, and he couldn't find them and he wasn't in a panic, state of panic, but he was... But he was clearly looking, and so an official there found him, and, and a break in the service brought him up to Mr. Moody as he was in between uh, sermons and, uh, and said, I believe this boy is lost. Can You've got the PA system. Can you do something here to kind of get attention and see if we can help locate the parents? So Mr. Moody goes up on the platform, and he brings the boy with him, and he hits the table. He stands him up so that he can be clearly seen by the crowd. It thunders out with his voice that, hey, here's this young man who uh, is seemingly separated from his parents and lost from his, uh, his parents. And uh, about that time, uh, the father cries out and is fighting his way through the crowd and comes up and grabs up his boy and throws his arm around him. And at that time, uh, as he comes up to the platform and the boy saw him, he jumped into his father's arms and their glad meeting happened and then Mr. Moody said, thus it is with God. He will receive you if only you will run to him. Amen. My friends, this morning, whether you're here and you're uncertain about whether or not Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you'd have a home in heaven, or whether you're a Christian that's far from him or your relationship's not as strong as it once was, if you'll just run to him, he's standing here with open arms. He longs for you this morning. Jesus came and we are to be about the business as Christians of reconciling man to God. Secondly, consider that we must be reconciling man to man. The great enemy that Satan has within the church and within the family is division. And a lot of times petty, petty things become enormous issues. I've heard it said and taught for years that Small Christians take little problems and make them big. Big Christians take big problems and make them small. There was a friend of Charles Dickens. His name was William Thackeray. And they were both well known. Of course, Dickens, the famous, the famous novel writer and, and author. 
And just before Christmas in 1863, they were going through the streets of London and they ran across one another, but they had some issues. They had some division in their life. And they had been very close friends for a number of years, but at this point in time, they weren't speaking to one another. And when they saw each other in London, they avoided each other and they literally came close to one another and turned around and Dickens walked off. His heart grieved him. And finally he went back to Thackeray and he stretched his hand out and they worked out their problem and it was reconciled. About a week later, Thackeray took ill and died. And for the rest of his life, Dickens lived with a grateful heart to the Lord that in that moment of opportunity, he was willing to swallow his pride and to work out the difference and be reconciled to his friend. What I'm saying this morning is that the, the devil wants to do everything that he can to divide you. He wants to divide you from the pastor. He wants to divide you from your Sunday school teacher. He wants to divide you to that person that you're close to within the church. He wants to divide you from anyone that's going to help you uh, enhance your walk with God, your life for, with God, your love for God. He wants division there. Why? Because it's the greatest tool that he has at his disposal. The easiest thing that he can do to, to, to pull us away from one another. Listen, a family that's not unified has lost its power to function. A church that's not unified has hindered the ability of God to work in its midst. And Satan's always wanting and seeking to cause division. Even a, even a public company cannot function correctly with great division within the ranks uh, of, its, of its employers, especially not the, those that are in the decision-making capacity. Be rec God came reconciling man to man. What does that mean? That means that we must be in one accord. We must be in one accord. Does that mean that we have to agree on everything? No. We're human beings. We're never going to agree on everything. As a matter of fact, if you're honest with yourself, you probably come to realize, as I have, that I don't even agree with myself sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes I'll look back and I think, man, that was, when in the world did you do that for? Why did you say that? Or how did you, you know, maybe sometimes it was yesterday, sometimes it was five or ten years ago or longer, and I'm just like, what in the world? Be in one accord. Our government functioned a lot better whenever there was people willing to find some common ground. Some of you are old enough to remember this, but, and, and you know, politics in America has always been a very volatile thing. We tend to think that it's worse now than it's ever been. But there, there are actually times whenever there were fights, literal fights, and I mean, it, it was even worse. You can imagine it. But I do remember this. I remember as a kid in high school, going through history and social studies class and taking a trip to D.C. and Ronald Reagan was the president at the time. And Tip O'Neill was the Speaker of the House. And Tip O'Neill had been the Speaker of the House for like decades. They were polar opposites of the political spectrum. One could not have been more conservative and the other could not have been more liberal. And one was in charge of the White House and the other was in charge of all of Congress. They fought all the time. They argued all the time. But they also got together for the good of the people and they had lunch once a week. Outside of politics, they were friends. They became friends. They found some common ground and they found ability to work on things in spite of their disagreement on some issues. 
what I'm saying is in the church, if you're looking for a church this morning in which you agree with everything or every policy or every sermon preached or every, you're, you're, you just keep looking and you're not going to find one. If you're the kind of Christian or the kind of person that thinks, hey, uh, you know, being in accord means that we agree on everything, that we have to say that everything is great and that everything is good. That's not being one accord. Being one accord is coming to a place where I realize this is what's important. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is important. And, you know, my disagreement on this issue is a minor thing compared to the unity and the support structure and the love and the teaching that I have from the church that God has brought me to. Uh, Then let those things lay and just put them aside. I'm not talking about doctrinal issues. I'm talking about petty little preferences that we all tend to have. And we, may, we like to make big deals out of. Just let them aside and just for the good of the gospel and for the sake of the growth of God's people, just love one another, love the Lord, and serve and love him together. Amen. Be of one accord. I, I want to be in step with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been in the military, you understand what it's like to march in step with your platoon or your company or your battalion. And certainly you didn't agree with every policy or every, every person even in the three or four men abreast from you. You come from different life stages and different places and different parts of the country and there are so many diverging uh, opinions. But when it came time to do what had to be done, there was a singular purpose. We have a singular purpose this morning. To lift up and exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To reconcile man to God and to be reconciling man to man. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to be in one accord. And then secondly, I would say this. If you have animosity, if you have a problem in your heart with a brother or sister in Christ, make it right. Make it right. If there's some angst that you have in your heart, somebody said something that bothered you, somebody, somebody did something that you don't understand, make it right. I'm not talking about make a big public display. I'm talking about, hey, uh, can we sit down and talk for a minute? You said this, I don't understand. You said this and it hurt my family. Or you said this or you did this and it, uh, it caused confusion. Or you, uh, you said this and it, uh, it seemed like you were against, uh, you know, what, uh, what the direction that the church is going. And, and it's, it's, it seems to work it out. And if you can't work it out amongst yourself, then get some help. Go to your Sunday school teacher. Go to the deacon. Come to the pastor. Especially we have this problem. Can you help us work it out? It requires a love for God and a spiritual Christian sometimes to be able to do that. But it's vital to pleasing the Lord. Jesus said, this is what my life, my kingdom, my world is going to be. It is going to be me coming to reconcile man to the Father in heaven. And in doing so, man is going to be reconciled to man. Now, the problem is, is that in our hearts right now, we're thinking, well, if you knew what so-and-so did to me, you'd never ask that. No, remember, we're supposed to be merciful. You have to be wrong to be merciful. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they didn't know what they do. Oh, yeah, but so-and-so knew what they were doing. Maybe so. But the truth is, is that those men knew what they were doing to Jesus. They just didn't know what the eternal impact was. When he said they don't know what they do, he doesn't say they don't understand that they're crucifying me. He said they don't understand who they're crucifying. They think I'm just another criminal. They don't, they don't realize that they are crucifying the Son of God. 
And they don't realize that they can only do so because I'm letting them. They think that they have the power. And the truth is, is that they have no power except that which has been given them by my Father in heaven. And we need to realize this morning that we are to be reconciling man to man. And the, the, the battle that's going on in our heart and in our mind whenever we're talking about that is this. I don't want to do that. That's reconciling my will to God's. I'm reconciling. I need to reconcile my way of thinking to God's way. To accept what God has said. After the close of World War II, near the end of it, in 1944, there was a Japanese soldier by the name of Soichi Yokoi. And he made his way from where he was somehow to the island of Guam. And when he was there, he hid himself up in the cave in the mountains. And he would only come out at night. And he would go out and he would get out in the water and get some fish and shrimp. He would, uh, he would collect rat. He would try to capture rats uh, and snails and uh, other types of things that most of us would not care to eat. I mean, the frogs and rats aren't too appetizing to me. Neither is shrimp, but I understand that to a lot of you it probably is. Uh, he'd find some nuts. I can go along with that. And and he'd live off of mangoes. And, you know, my wife can put down some mangoes, but I don't care for them that much. And so he lived for a number of years out in the jungle. And the thing is, is that when the war was over, the Allied forces dropped a lot of leaflets on these jungles so that the Japanese that were hiding out would know and understand that the war was over. One day there were a couple of men that were out in the back area of Guam around where he was and they were hunting and they found him. And they coaxed him out and they told him, you know, the war's over. And he said, I know. And they said, well, what are you doing back here? He's barely clothed. Everything he had was worn out to near nothing. And he said, well, I'm afraid that if I come out, I'll be executed. And they finally convinced him that the war is over. You've not committed a crime. You're not going to be executed. And they finally built up enough trust to get him out. They brought him out and they, within a matter of a few days, had him on an airplane back home to be reunited with his family years after the war was over. He lived isolated, alone, cut off from all of the blessings that could have been his simply because he was not willing to accept the truth of what was. He was determined to do it his way and not God's. He was determined to just continue this battle within his own heart to not believe what he knew to be true. Until finally he did. And the reality this morning is this, is that I have to be at peace with God before I can do his work in faith. My friends, this morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are uncertain about whether you go to heaven or hell, may I say to you that the whole reason that he came to earth in the form of a, of a virgin-born child is so that he would be able and that he would be worthy to offer himself a sacrifice for our sin. That he was 
an acceptable sacrifice that could be offered in atonement to reconcile man to God. The legend that I shared in the beginning, we talked about justice. God's justice must be satisfied. We talked about truth. Truth must be fulfilled. It cannot be compromised. We talked about holiness. God is holy. And nothing can change that. And he will not change that for anything. But mercy said, I can go down there, Father, and I can become their sin. So that justice and truth and holiness can be kept intact, uncompromised. And I'll offer myself a sacrifice. And you pour out all the wrath that's necessary upon me to atone for their sin. And when you're done, and I'm dead, I'll conquer death. And I'll rise again. And I'll come out with life. And I'll make life available. My friends, this morning, life is available to you. And you can't go to church enough times, and you can't get baptized enough times. You can't turn over a new new leaves. You can't give enough money. You can't, you can't do enough penance to ever reconcile yourself to God. Say, Pastor, you think I'm a bad person? You think I'm really that bad? No, I'm telling you that it's not about being good or bad. It's about trusting what Jesus Christ has done. Only he is worthy. He's the only sinless one. He's the only one that doesn't have, because he does not have an earth, that's why the virgin birth of Christ is such an important miracle. If he was born naturally, he was born with a, with a sinful nature. His sacrifice and atonement would have been for self. But because he has no earthly father, he does not have a sinful nature. He is all God, yet he is all man, and he is worthy to be an atonement for our sin. And he loves us enough that he says, I'm going to get up off of my throne and I'm going to come down there and incarcerate myself and confine myself to a body like yours. And I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to eat what you eat. I'm going to drink what you eat. I'm going to feel the tiredness and the exhaustion that you feel. I'm going to experience betrayal and heartache. I'm going to experience the harshness of the elements. And I'm going to experience what it's like to be brutalized and beaten until finally... I'm crucified and I give up my life for you. And then when I rise from the grave, atonement's complete and I can bring you into the presence of your father. What's this whole ministry got? Jesus' whole life was about reconciling, about reconciling man to God. And along the way, he established his church. And he says, man needs to be reconciled to man. If you've got problems with your brother, leave your gift and go solve the problem before you come back and bring your gift. Why? That we might stand unified as the body of Christ, representing him to the world around. Why is that so important? Because the whole world is out there and they're searching for God and God is searching for them and they don't even know what they're looking for. What we need to do is we need to take... We need to take 
that lost person and we need to put them up on the pedestal so that we can identify to them their father, the Lord Jesus Christ, trying to make his way to them through the crowd so that they can be brought together. And if we're not willing to come together, work together, set aside differences to make that happen, we're never going to get the job done. That's what he's got us here to do. To bring people to Christ. To disciple them and help them to grow in his grace and to become the image of Christ. Are you this morning a peacemaker or a sower of discord? Am I this morning someone who is going out of my way to bring peace? To recognize, hey, there's a lost young man or a young lady that needs the gospel. Am I willing to go out of my way to take the message of Christ to them, to reconcile them, to be a peacemaker? That person that's obviously at odds with people that they should be in, in wonderful relationships with in their life, to try to help mend those fences. That person that's so internally conflicted, that person that's so torn up in their own heart that they can find no peace, they can't sleep at night, they can't, uh, they can't find any joy, they can't find any happiness, they can't overcome anything in their life to help them come into a relationship with Christ that will resolve and settle the issue. Are we this morning peacemakers? He is. He is the great peacemaker. And we are by virtue of our faith in him, an extension of him, would we become a peacemaker for God? Am I at peace with him this morning? If you're not, I would just say this. In just a moment, I'm going to open the invitation. Say, what in the world is that? If you're new this morning, we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes. And I'm just going to ask some questions. There are going to be some people, perhaps, that maybe sometimes there are, sometimes there aren't. They're going to walk down the aisle. They're going to kneel up here and pray. Say, what's that all about? That just means that God spoke to their heart, and they don't want to carry that out of here with them. They want to come, and they want to pray, and they want to get taken care of that, whatever that the issue is with God. Perhaps you're here this morning and say, Pastor, if I died today, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. There's no greater decision you'll ever make in your life. Whenever we give that invitation in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do this. I won't seek you out. I won't embarrass you. I won't, I won't do anything that draws attention to you. Leave your seat and come here. If you're a man, I'll find a man. If you're a lady, I'll find a lady. And I'll ask them to take you across the hallway out here in the lobby to one of these classrooms where they can open a Bible and they can show you how you can know without any doubt that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're here this morning and say, man, Pastor, I've got so many problems. I don't even know where to start. I just need somebody to pray with me. Just come and share that with me. I'll find someone to pray with you. That's the invitation. That's what it's for. See, the problem is, is if we don't act when God's speaking to us, by the time we get home, we'll get distracted. We'll get busy with lunch. We'll get busy with conversation. We'll forget and we'll never do anything with what God's done with us right now. Work and move when God moves you. And when we do that, God can do amazing things in our lives. Let God be the great peacemaker in your heart this morning. Let God bring you to himself.